the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Ordinarily, the show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount of taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and that's very important in today's world. And as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. But since this is Memorial Day weekend, we're going to spend time with some of the interviews we have done with World War II veterans. Now, we couldn't get all the World War II veterans we've interviewed over the years, but we, we, we've we picked out three that fits our timing. You know, there's some other great interviews out there, but we can't get everybody in in a, the time we have segmented. Now, as far as estate planning and elder law, if you have any questions about estate planning, you can give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Um, we're a estate planning law firm. Everything we do as far as estate planning is on a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the hour. The initial consultation is free. You can schedule an appointment with us. You can schedule an appointment with me at 718-238-6500. We have offices in Queens, Staten Island, Midtown Manhattan, and our main flagship station in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Now, again, Memorial Day is, is really a very sacred holiday. Um, you know, and some people confuse Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Veterans Day is, is to thank the veterans who are alive and with us. Memorial Day is to honor the fallen dead, especially those guys who died in the in combat. And, and Memorial Day, you know, started... It started as Decoration Day slightly after the end of the Civil War. General Black Jack Logan, one of the great Civil War generals, was a member of the Grand Army of the Republic. They, it was kind of like the forerunner of the American, American Legion, and they started putting decorations on each one of the fallen Civil War soldiers. So that's how it got started. There was a parade in Bay Ridge. And hopefully we'll come back next year, but it was the oldest in Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Memorial Day Parade was the oldest in the country. There's some debate on that, but as a Brooklynite, we're going to claim that Brooklyn is the oldest parade in the country. So, there, like I said, 
It's to honor the, the the fallen dead. It's it's a sacred holiday, one of the few American holidays that you can kind of call sacred. And it's to remember the fallen in wars. And and to do that, we put together an assembly of some of our World War II veterans. Unfortunately, they're almost all gone, but they're not forgotten. And one of our friends, Tony Lobianco, who was on last week's show, um, he's doing a new movie now with Ray Romano. But he was talking about the, the beginning of his film career. But one of the things he's given back to the community, he has given back to the veterans organizations, which is how I met him some years back now. I don't even remember at some veterans tribute. And and Tony is a good guy. He's He's been on TV. You know, some of the younger people in the audience may not remember him. Some of the younger people who work in my office may not know who he was, but in the French Connection, he made a splash in the big screen. And Tony has always given back to the veterans. And one of the things, he did a short video presentation, which, you know, talking about the World War II veterans and how they're dying out and how they should be remembered. So we're going to take it away and go to Tony LoBianco. getting old and paunchy and his hair was falling fast and he sat around the legion telling stories of the past of a war that he had fought in and the deeds that he had done in his exploits with his buddies they were heroes everyone and though sometimes to his neighbors his tales became a joke all his legion buddies listened, for they knew whereof he spoke. But we'll hear his tales no longer, for old Bill has passed away. And the world's a little poorer, for a soldier died today. He will not be mourned by many, just his children and his wife. For he lived an ordinary and quite uneventful life. And held a job and raised a family, quietly going his own way. And the world won't note his passing. Though a soldier died today. When politicians leave this earth, their bodies lie in state while thousands note their passing and proclaim that they were great. Papers tell their whole life stories from the time that they were young. But the passing of a soldier goes unnoticed and unsung. 
is the greatest contribution to the welfare of our land a guy who breaks his promise and cons his fellow man or the ordinary fellow who in times of war and strife goes off to serve his country and offers up his life a politician's stipend and the style in which he lives are sometimes disproportionate to the service that he gives while the ordinary soldier who has offered up his all is paid off with a medal and perhaps a pension small it's so easy to forget them for it was so long ago that the old bills of our country went to battle but we know it was not the politicians with their compromises and ploys who won for us the freedom that our country now enjoys should you find yourself in danger with your enemies at hand would you want a politician with his ever shifting stand or would you prefer a soldier who has sworn to defend his home his kin and country and would fight until the end he was just a common soldier and his ranks are growing thin but his presence should remind us we may need his life again for when countries are in conflict then we find the soldier's part is to clean up all the troubles that the politicians start If we cannot do him honor while he's here to hear the prayers then at least let's give him homage at the ending of his days perhaps just a simple headline in a paper that would say our country is in mourning for a soldier died Thanks again to Tony Lobianco. Now, we are going to take one estate planning question today. We're going to take Kevin McCullough, and then we're going to go straight into our World War II veterans. Take it away, Kevin. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Always promise you that you're going to get a real question answered from one Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan. And, Mike, this week's question comes from Pauline. She said, Dear Mr. Connors, my mother has a lot of credit card debt. Am I responsible for paying it when she dies? Mike Connors. Well, the short answer is no. You're not responsible for your mother's credit card debt when she dies unless you co-sign the, uh, the cards. Now, if your mother, this is one of the reasons you want to avoid probate. If your mother has an estate, an estate that goes through court, then the credit card companies put a claim in against the estate. And then not, not that you would be paying it, but your mother's estate would be paying it. And that's one of the reasons, too, at the end we try to avoid probate because sometimes his claims are legitimate, but sometimes they're not. You're better off avoiding them. 
Okay. Well, that seems pretty simple. And, uh, you know, it is it is kind of amazing how easily these things can get uh, mixed up. And if you're thinking, well, you know, um, no big deal. She's dead. I won't be held responsible for it. They miss that uh, that that little <laughs> that little note that you made mention of. Well, if it goes to probate. She owns yeah. the house. The house is in her name alone when she dies. Well, they can put a lien on the house in effect. Yeah. So you got to, friends, here's what you got to do. You got to call Connors and Sullivan. You got to have them look at your situation, make sure you're set up properly for not only uh, your untimely passing, but uh, those that are coming behind you. You want to make sure you plan uh, properly in advance. Here's the number to call their office and get your uh, consultation today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And then be listening because Mike Connors will answer more questions from you on his broadcast coming up Saturday morning at 8 o'clock on AM 570 and FM 102.3 The Mission, and Sunday morning starting at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. With me right now is one of our veterans from Brooklyn, Ray Hughes. Brooklyn resident. Were you? Did you live in Brooklyn when the? I was started? born in Brooklyn. Where were you in 1942? In 1942, I signed up with the U.S. Navy. Thanks to my mother allowing me to go finally after I threatened to run away uh, if she didn't sign me in. How old were you then in 42? Just 19, coming up on 19 when I signed in in March. Okay, and what was your first? ship assignment? My first ship assignment after Great Lakes boot camp was the John D. Edwards Fourth Stack 1918 destroyer, which uh, was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. And what was your first duty assignment at sea? The first duty assignment was to Brazil when we crossed the equator. Somebody gave us a haircut as well as everything else. But uh, that was our first assignment, uh, was Brazil. After that, we went to Africa. And did you f- see any action in Africa? When- well, in Africa, the f- our first trip to Pizzerti, Oran, uh, in Africa, the, we were tied up alongside the oil wells, um, caves full of oil, when a Dutch trader 
try to turn around during a German air raid and go back out the channel and couldn't make it and rammed us right at the torpedo tubes to put a hole in the side of the ship and turn the torpedoes uh, tubes almost 80 degrees. Now, was, it, was that a ju- Dutch ship that was under Nazi control? or was No, a- that, was, that was a Dutch ship coming into the harbor. It happened to get caught in the air raid with the rest of us. And one of the seamen tried to put a fender over the side to stop the <laughs> Dutch ship on the boats and grabbed him and brought him forward so that he almost fainted when he saw what happened to the torpedo tubes. And then did something happen with the torpedo tubes? And- yes, sir. They, uh, well, they had to take them out uh, after quite a job, uh, and we had to go back to Norfolk for repairs. After we they finished the repairs, we went to Puerto Rico, where we got sunburns. Then they sent us straight up the north, uh, the middle of the Atlantic to Iceland, where we arrived with a sunburn. And then what happened when you're in, you know, in Iceland? Well, we had in Iceland we uh, started picking up convoys for convoy duty, and there were uh, at that time quite a few subs in the area. And while they didn't hit our side of the convoy too much, because the destroyers were pretty fast. Uh, they were on the Canadian side, and they did do some damage. Then after that, for a while, we became, with the Guadalcanal aircraft carrier, Baby Flat Top, we were a killer group that hunted submarines a day ahead of the convoy to clear the area between United States, Iceland, Greenland, and England. We did have submarine alert, which we actually left Norfolk just to meet three submarines, German submarines, which were operating off uh, the Azores. We hit a perfect storm and got battered all over the place, taking green water over the bow and up against the captain's cabin, and half the crew was very seasick. And I was on the wheel, and the, I did not know that the OD was hanging over the side, uh, seasick. <laughs> and as I was going off course, I called off to him to degrees, and finally the captain heard me and run in and changed uh, to the wheel watch to my partner, who took over the wheel and brought us back but we were in a couple of troughs between waves, which was almost ironbound, which could have been very, very dangerous for rocking the ship side to side and could have rolled over. But the fourth stack destroyers were bottom-heavy, so we got out of it. And uh, I didn't find out till the next day, a captain's mess that all charges were dropped that I wasn't negligent, but the, uh, the OD uh, was uh, transferred at the end of that uh, voyage. And we went on to uh, do convoy duty between Iceland, Greenland, Maine, and Canada. Did you ever come in contact with the German submarines? Uh, we had 
contacts pretty regularly, regular, uh, while we're with uh, the convoys, uh, especially the northern convoys. Uh, they were prone to more German sub attacks there, but they did avoid as much as possible uh, the Navy destroyers uh, as opposed to uh, the Canadian uh, small uh, clipper ships, as we called them. They were smaller uh, ships uh, that uh, had torpedo, had depth charges aboard. But uh, we went through the convoys many times. And then we were transferred, after that, we were transferred down to uh, the Panama Canal, where we had um, to watch for anything coming in toward the Panama Canal and going out to try to recover uh, parts and ships uh, that were torpedoed. We went through the canal because there was also somebody operating on the Balboa side. So we went through, and when we went through, they operated on the Atlantic side. So twice we went through the canal, and then they put us on operating with American submarines uh, off the Panama Canal on the Pacific side, and as it so happened, they were firing torpedoes underneath us, dummy torpedoes, but they were firing them underneath us, and our torpedoes at that time were not the greatest. So one happened to be porpoising and decided to hit the side of the ship. Had it been maybe 20 feet further uh, to the stern, toward the stern, it would have landed in the fire room, the forward fire room, which was under full head of steam, but it landed in the bow and put a hole in the bow. And being that we were still attached to Norfolk, we had to take and wait for plates to come down from Norfolk through the canal and come put them on our ship to bring it back to get repaired. In the meantime, we had some of the greatest uh, beach parties. (laughs) (laughs) And I even learned to fish, (laughs) enjoy fishing. Okay, getting back to the incident that happened with the Dutch ship, I think you told me once about how Boatswain saved the life of somebody. Can you go through that story? Yes, uh, this uh, young, uh, when we first went on board, there there was a bunch of us uh, were just the closest thing to apprentice seaman. Uh, I myself had gone to gunnery school, so I was a striker for, a first-class seaman striker for gunner's mate. And uh, when we were in Bizzotti and we were getting rammed, this young man, Tony was his name, he was a farmer from the Middle West, and he always learned on the lakes that you put a fender when you have a problem between ships or between boats. And his idea as a seaman was to put a fender 
between its gigantic freighter coming at us and the torpedo tubes. And when he did, uh, uh, the, the boatswain, at that time was a first-class boatswain named Biggs, grabbed him and ran him up toward the forecastle of the, uh, the, the, the destroyer because we were anchored and we were tied to, to the pier. We couldn't go anywhere. So that was going to hit us come what may. And it was during a German air raid. And he grabbed him, and as I said before, he took, he almost fainted when he realized what had happened to those torpedo tubes. And he looked at them, and that man, I think, had the whitest face of anybody. I think he'd beat an angel. <laughs> After what year did you get discharged? What I was discharged in October of 1945. I had enough points at that time to get out right away, so I was on my way back to the Pacific and pick up to pick up a new destroyer uh, when the war ended. Finally, and uh, I was kind of glad. <laughs> uh, because I didn't want to go back out there on a tin can. Uh, they were getting knocked off pretty regularly, uh, regular on uh, kamikaze attacks, and I didn't anticipate coming home again. Uh, it was a little, to me, it was a little on the dangerous side. Again, Ray, I wanted to thank you for coming in today. I wanted to thank you for your service to our country. <laughs> both during the war, after the war. You know, you're one of the dynamos of the Catholic War veterans of Kings County. Thank you. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're very proud to have a World War II veteran, General Jerome Richard, who was at D-Day, or D-Day Plus One. And you were there with the photographic unit. How exactly did you get involved in the photographic unit? I was involved... By an accident, I tell you, when I went out to camp up, they interviewed us, and since I was a graphic artist working for an advertising agency, they put me down as a painter. And because I was a painter, they had me painting some walls and stuff until they found out my background. So with my background, the person that was interviewing me said, I don't know what you're doing here, painting the walls and so forth, there's a unit now being formed in Hollywood, in New Jersey. They're looking for people like you. Have you had any photography experience? I said, of course. 
and I told them my photography experience. They said, well, you should really go over, not go over there, but we put in a request for you. Maybe they may want you. And I was very lucky. I was transferred over to the unit, which at that time was called the Training Film Laboratory of the first 36 top men in Hollywood that formed the pictures that combined live action with automation. And that's what they did. They made the first training film slides. I was doing tightening work. I was doing airbrush work and retouching and so forth. And uh, this is how eventually I became involved because of my photographic experience. They sent me out to Hollywood. I trained under Frank Capra, George Stevens, the top design of uh, stop directors. Uh, what was his name? Freeland. Freeland was another one top director, and I learned I learned so much from them that eventually they needed a unit from the Surgeon General who wanted to know what was happening. They didn't know what was happening maybe for the first three months. So they chose me as one of the photographers to go over, and I went over with a unit of five and three officers. We had a flight officer, a captain, and a first lieutenant. Five of us, we were fortunate when we passed, they had a black, they had a blackout in an English channel. So about 14 days we didn't anything was a blackout. That probably saved all of our lives because when we got there, we missed the first landing. And instead of landing up in Brest, we landed up in Omaha. And we stayed there about two, three days photographing of the devastation, the screaming, the yelling. It was a complete bedlam. But one thing I will tell you, it was the guts and perseverance of American soldiers that won the war for us that day. And even I understand that President Eisenhower didn't know whether the landing was a success and had a letter taking responsibility. But the Rangers managed to get on the top and knock out one of their posts, and that gave us a break. We were only there about three days. Then we, uh, Captain Tover, which is our officer in charge, got a jeep, and we went over to uh, Brest, where we were supposed to have gone originally, and we went through the same thing. The high land was on the Germans. We were on the low land. Now, some of us in New York, you compared that geographically to the Hudson River and the Palisades. Correct. Can you, can you go that through that? That give people an idea of the advantage and disadvantage we had. And uh, the Germans had these mines under the sand and everything that kept blowing up every, every six things. And these guys were, I think it was so horrible, I could not photograph for two days many of us couldn't we cried of what we saw but the sad part of it is that when you get accustomed to it it doesn't bother you anymore and so we were attached as i said to a semi-mobile hospital unit we were attached to that at breast and there we saw the same thing the tanks came in germans had the high ground we had the low ground uh the tanks uh, were in there, they sunk, they ran out of morphine, everything. They unfortunately ran out of bandage. They took the 
stretch off the dead and made bandage out of stuff. And then finally, as I say, the medics finally came down and they marked them up with like A, B, or C as to the severity. And then they sent them back beyond the line where they we saw the first uh, nurse corps. They were not with the medics. They were there to help them. <clears throat> the wounded, take care of them, do the semi-operation. We took care of all their operating rooms on the field. And that all of us were sent back to the Surgeon General so he would get a visual report of the care of wounded. This is basically what we did. What was your observation of the nurses that were involved? They were angels of mercy. You'd rather get a kiss from a nurse and a medal of honor. They were all young girls. I've never forgotten them, what they did, and helped guys without arms, without limbs, screaming. And they really were. They were so good to these guys. I don't know where they could have stood up what they did, but unfortunately, our job was not completed because when we came home, we photographed the wounded coming down. Unfortunately, a lot of the nurses landed up at Pilgrim State Hospital. Unfortunately, that was the crazy house, as they called it. They cracked, and that's where they were. They may be 90 years old, and I'm sure no one cared about them anymore. And I felt so bad when we went down there. That was part of our assignment to follow up. That I felt so bad that some of these young girls would land up that way, as well as the men. We're just past the end of World War II. VJ Day was just a little while ago. Where were you on VJ Day? Do you remember? Yes, absolutely. I was sitting in a Paramount Theater when all of a sudden the lights went on. Paramount Theater where? In New York City. New York City, okay. And the lights went on and there was an announcement, all those that are in the armed forces to return to the base immediately. At that time, you got into a taxi cab. They took us to Fort Monmouth. And then I reported to the training film laboratory, and I was connected with them for the rest of the war. Okay, but on the day the war ended, VJ Day, where were you? We were in Times Square photographing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good place to be. Yeah, in fact, that's one of the few pictures that I have taken of me photographing the big crowds. Yeah, we did everything that we could do that would represent what our, our mission was. And what did you do after the war? I got a job with an advertising agency. And uh, eventually, uh, I had tough bosses, but every boss got me a better job. And eventually, I formed an advertising agency myself. Okay, and let me, one final question. What's your date of birth? How well, old are you? Age of the Dinosaurs, July 20th, 1917. Nineteen seventeen. I cannot believe in two years I'll be 100. All right. So uh, I, I've asked this of some of our other World War II vets. We invited to the 100th birthday party? My brother gave me a surprise birthday party. I wasn't supposed to know, but my Secret Service man told me about it. <laughs> yeah, so he had a couple of people, and he surprised me with a birthday party. All right. Well, very good. 
you know, thank you for your service. Thank you for sharing your stories with the audience here. Let's hope we're around for the 100th birthday party. I have the original autographs of the 36 men that probably all passed away that started from Hollywood. I, ma I made their design for them, and they all autographed it for me. I asked them if they may like it for their archives or something, but they said no, so I still have it. Well, very good. Keep that for the next generation. Well, I tell you again, God's been very good to me. I've been a very lucky guy, and I'm here, and I'm still breathing. That's all we can ask for. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. I'm in a good place in my life. And I'm energized by new adventures. I've got friends to laugh with. And a good relationship. But even though I'm kind of comfortable, I sometimes wonder, is there something more? Could God in church be what you're looking for? Come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. We're in our segment tonight where we're talking to some World War II veterans. And right now is with me is John Cangelosi, a World War II veteran. First, tell me, where were you on December 7th, 1941? December 7th, I was still at home. I was only you know, 18 years old, and uh, I was waiting to be inducted because my parents wouldn't let me volunteer. So where were you when you first heard about well, the Well, I, I heard it like everybody else was all over the news, and uh, I wasn't able to enlist because uh, we had a, my mother and father were very strict. Even though we had a large family, they wouldn't let me enlist, so I waited until I was uh, drafted. And then when did you actually enter the I service? I went in, uh, into the service in uh, 1943. I went into the service, and uh, even though I was drafted, it was a, I, I don't know how, how much time I have, but... Uh, I was in, went to the 39 Whitehall Induction Center, and uh, as we were walking around with a sheet of paper, uh, completely nude, uh, the fellow behind me told me, I, he said, how did you get into the Navy? I couldn't believe it because <laughs> he had stamped Navy on my papers, which would have been better for me. But I promised my mother that I would not definitely go into the Navy because she had such fear about the, the water. So I went to a warrant officer there, a young man, and I told him the I promised my mother, so he, he understood. He took the paper and he stamped army on it, and uh, that was the beginning of my new career. I understand one time you told me a story about the landing at Marseille. Oh, yes. We were, uh, this is in France now, we we're, uh, were in France, and we were in a farmhouse, and uh, I was up in the attic. Usually uh, the Germans are always indoors, and we're out attacking, but this time we were in a house, and the captain came up to me and said, what's going on, Joe? And I'm looking out an attic window, and I said, well, it's pretty quiet now, but oh, wait. I said, here come eight uh, GIs in German raincoats. A lot of GIs preferred the German raincoats because they were they were made of rubber, not plastic. But as I was saying, there were eight German soldiers, uh, there were eight uh, GIs in German raincoats. I heard them talking. They raised, one raised his arm and he started speaking in German. And I said, oh, my God, they're not uh, GIs, they're German. So we fired out the window. 
and the captain said they want to surround us because they had a machine gun on the right, and they, 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 these soldiers were trying to surround us. So he called for artillery fire, and that uh, was a I don't know it was the best thing or the worst thing to do because something hit us right where we were standing in our attic. We got a heavy shell right on our roof, and uh, uh, with all the con- all the concussion and all the, the cordite smell and the burning and the, whatever was happening, we had a hole in the side of the roof that's about maybe 15, 20, 30 feet long in circle. Not only did it hit the roof, but um, uh, it hit the same hole that was on the roof was where we were standing. Uh, luckily, the uh, concussion hit, when it did hit, it just pushed, hit, hit me to the wall, and I slid down like a an omelet, and uh, I looked at myself. I didn't have any any uh, any wounds at all, just concussion. And uh, as the smoke cleared, I looked, and the fellow standing next to me, he was gone, and uh, I saw a hole in the floor. I crawled over to the edge of the floor, and I saw him spread eagled on the bed below. And he went right to another room down below. And then it dawned on me that uh, with all the confusion, usually when they fire one shell, usually they follow two or three rounds. So I saw the uh, hole in the, uh, I saw the uh, stairway. So I literally dove down the stairway to avoid the other shells. Now I'm looking at this poor soul. Uh, he's spread eagled on the bed, and he was dead. And uh, I just uh, I hit my knee on the stairs. There was concrete stairs all the way down, and I just hold on my knee until I was able to run out of the building. That was one episode. Now, did you have any uh, brothers in the service? Oh yes, I had a brother uh, in, in the service, and uh, he was he actually didn't have to go. He had a military deferment because uh, we had nine in our family, and. Uh, he could have stayed home, and I told him, please stay home because the family has to survive. There will be no financing if he goes in. But he was so humiliated. When he would be on a bus, everybody ridiculed him and say, why aren't you in the service? So he couldn't take it no more, so he enlisted. And he was captured in the Battle of the Bulge. So that was another story. When, when he was captured in the Battle of the Bulge, the, uh, the Red Cross, because I was a surviving son, they, they plucked me out of the... Uh, but this is way after all the experience I went through. I was, uh, we were up almost to the German border by that time. And uh, they plucked me out and they sent me home. But I went through a lot before that had happened. Uh, my mother thought he was, well, we were told he was missing in action. But when we were home, a very interesting thing happened. Uh, uh, a, the, we had moved. We, had, we weren't able to stay in the same house we were in. We had to move to another house and a the mailman was so nice, he he had a card from Stalag 4B, which is a German prison camp, and he was nice enough to bring it to the, where we were living now. And I told my mother, he's alive, he's a prisoner, and uh, he's, he was not missing in action anymore. We knew where he was, and uh, by that time, the war was almost to a close, and he came home safely, and uh, he still had shrapnel in from the, from the service that he put in. That was removed at Fort Dix, New Jersey. And then by that time, the uh, the war ended in, in Germany, and they were preparing to send me to uh, the Pacific. Uh, but that is uh, a quick episode between going in and going out. Cause a lot of, I went through a lot of experience uh, through France and Italy before this happened. And what did you do after the war? I, I saw so much killing and fighting and uh, human uh, misbehavior I just couldn't tolerate so luckily uh, the UN was being formed 
And I told my wife, this is very nice. Here's a peaceful organization. I would like to work for something like that. Uh, when I was finding myself in such uh, horrible situations, my buddy and I, uh, on a, a searching for German tanks, they gave us a big radio, called a 300 radio, and we carried this on our back. We all said, we were two little guys, two little guys, and we had this heavy radio on our back, and they just told us to get on the road. And so we did. We went to look for German tanks. This is in France. And as we were walking uh, on this road, straight road, and uh, we were looking for tracks and looking for any signs of tanks, and we kept walking toward enemy territory. We were probably in enemy territory. I, I said, all of a sudden, something, I noticed something that he didn't notice. And I said, do you see something peculiar as we're walking? He said, no. I said, take a good look. And uh, he didn't see it. I had to point it out. All the trees that were on either side of the banks were bent outward. And, uh, and then I looked at the base of the tree. They were all scraped. All the barks were scraped fresh. In other words, we were looking for tank tracks on the road. They were so big, they were riding the banks of the road, bending the trees outward. So I knew we were close to the tank. So we kept going very carefully until we went to a, a valley. We were up in the mountains. And there they were, maybe about 15 or 30 tanks down below, just sitting there. So we did our job. And... Uh, we, we were running back now to report it. We, well, we did give the coordinates on the radio, and we're heading back. It was pitch black. We don't know where the hell we were. We just know we were heading south. And I said, well, we, we may. I, I found a wire. Usually they had a lot of wires, telephone wires. And I said, I'm following this wire. It either takes us to a German CP or an American CP. I don't care at this point. We're, we're running down the mountain with this radio on our back. Our knees are all skinned. Our pants are all ripped. And uh, I followed this wire, and I went to a little shack, and sure enough, luckily it was American. There was an American in there, and we told him we were reporting ourselves, and we'd like to get some transportation back to our units. And I got very annoyed at uh, what, I had, what I had to witness. Uh, he's over six foot, and he's sitting behind a typewriter. He's asked us our name, and he's typed with two fingers. And I said, this is ridiculous. We had two little guys carrying a radio looking for German tanks. Our, our knees are all skin, falling down mountaintops, and you're here typing with two fingers. I got so mad. That um, when I got back, I reported this, no, not to get him in trouble, just that I was, uh, I thought it was, well, inappropriate. That he was so big and we were so small. We were doing all this heavy uh, work. So I told him that I, when I was in the service, uh, I, I, told, I should have told him then. So I was working for a, a, a factory that was making army coats. But before that, I was in Western Union. I should have said, I was too, too young to know, only 18, and I should have told him. So as soon as I said Western Union, and a teletype operator. I couldn't believe what happened. They uh, plucked me out of the combat. I was in the infantry, and I found myself in Caserta, uh, Italy, uh, about 300 miles away from the war. New uniform, new shoes, pleats in my pants, clean T-shirts, and they put me in teletype school in the Signal Corps. I was happy in one way because I knew that I was safe, but I, I missed my buddies, so... Uh, one day I actually went to visit them. I bought them some cognac and some schnapps and just to say goodbye. And they said, what are you doing back here? We're crawling around Fox. So I said, you're crazy? I said, well, I just had to say goodbye. And uh, when I went back, we were, we were about third sub-basement in the Caserta, Italy. This building was at the King's Palace. The King's Palace, where they set up a communication setup. And there was, uh, we had top-secret clearance. 
and we're transmitting uh, the machines will go 100 words a minute to these to the United States. So getting back to the UN, when I went back, I they knew I was in communication, and they looked at the people that Intellitype also had clearance. I had top secret clearance. I um, they took me immediately into the State Department. Not I was working for the United States mission to the United Nations, and that was a whole new experience for me because I met. Uh, uh, one of my bosses was, uh, well, I thought I was Henry Cabot Lodge, and then I had uh, Adlai Stevenson, and I had Nixon, uh, and uh, well, Nixon was a president, but uh, our my boss was uh, President Bush, number one, not number two, but President Bush, number one, number, two, number one, and uh, had a wonderful experience there in the diplomatic corps. And where That's are you what, living today? I'm in Belrose, Queens. I retired. Okay. State Department, and uh, I had a wonderful career in the service. Luckily, I survived that, and I had a wonderful career with the State Department with the United Nations. Now, how old are you today, Joe? I'm, I can't believe this. Uh, I'm 89, and uh, thank God I'm in good health. I was brought here for a purpose. She's right, well, God bless you. Thank, thank you. you for all you've done for your family and for your country. We'll be talking to you again someday, I think. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help, too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500 718-238-6500 or Sullivan. Listen, folks out there, please enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Stay safe, you know, and when, when you're having your barbecues, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, obviously, but when you're doing that, say a prayer for our fallen veterans. Say a prayer for all our World War II veterans, most of whom have now passed away. You know, their sacrifices should not be forgotten. We should all remember what they all did to save the free world back in the 1940s. And the same thing to our Korean War veterans who had, in some cases, a harder time, just as tough a time, and were not recognized, our Vietnam War veterans. 
you know, let's remember all our veterans. And again, I know this is not Veterans Day. It's Memorial Day. But let's remember all our foreign, fallen heroes from all the wars in the history of the United States. And so when you're, you're doing your barbecues, you know, think about them. Let's say a prayer. Now, we're going to be back next week, same times and stations. At least we hope so. <laughs> and then we're going to be we're going to be talking a little bit of politics next time. And remember, part of remember the veterans fought and died to keep us free. And one of the things I think too many of us forget is those veterans died so we can vote in free elections. And let's make sure we have free and open elections. But let's make sure we have good elections and make sure you go out and vote for the candidates that will represent your values. You know, this is this Republican democracy. You have to vote for to make it work. And even if some sides may take unfair advantage of the situation, we still have to do the best part we can. So again, stay safe. Enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you next week. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this all away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this all away. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.